0: Uh, thank you so much for joining us this weekend. My name is Ryan, if we haven't met yet, and I am one of the pastors on staff with Spring Lake Church. I'm the youth pastor, the pastor over everything having to do with student ministries, and I'm grateful to be joining you um, this weekend. I uh, just want to jump in and, uh, and remind you that in 2006, uh, Hollywood Upped its game, It raised the bar of excellence when it comes to cinema by releasing a little number called *Nacho Libre*. Anybody see *Nacho Libre*? You can raise your hand. I know you're a little embarrassed. That's okay. *Nacho Libre*. All the, f- the quotes are flooding into your mind. *Nacho Libre* is a Jack Black film. Uh, he's a, it's a comedy. It's about uh, his character is a is a monk, an overweight monk in Mexico, and uh, Nacho's lifelong dream is to become a luchador, uh, a professional wrestler in Mexico, and along along the way uh, he encounters a friend named Esskeleito this scrawny little guy who joins him and as they're getting ready uh, for their first encounter in the ring their first tag team experience they're clearly up against guys who know what they're doing <laughs> as opposed to them. And of course, Nacho volunteers his friend to go first uh, and he kind of, you know, grabs him and says to him in his terrible, uh, intentionally terrible Mexican accent, he says to him, uh, don't worry, brother, and just pray to the Lord and he will give you strength. Uh, and the skeleton looks at him with eyes as big as dinner plates and he says, I, I don't believe in God. I only believe in science. And then he goes into the ring, and he just gets thrashed by these, by these guys. And that just becomes a trope throughout the rest of the movie. He says that multiple times. I, I don't believe in God. I, I only believe uh, in science. And as ridiculous as that movie is, and ridiculous as that scene is, I think that phrase, I don't believe in God, I only believe in science, I think it summarized what's become sort of a— a popular sentiment amongst people in the United States and in Western developed countries. There seems to be this perception that there's a conflict between science and faith. You can either be really into science or you can be really into faith, but you can't have both. They're, they seem to be in conflict. Uh, just the other day, I was, I was playing disc golf by myself because I'm that big of a nerd. Uh, and I went to a course and I picked up with this guy who was also there by himself— and uh, we started we started playing and talking, and intentionally, I eventually brought up uh, the subject of faith in Jesus. And he tells me he's not religious. He, he doesn't go to church. Uh, he, he knows some Christians, but he doesn't really believe in God. And I started asking him, if you don't mind, you know, what what is it about Christianity that hasn't been persuasive to you or hasn't been attractive to you? You know, why, why don't you believe? And amongst other things, he says, well, you know, I've got, I've got a background in, in science, and um, I just think that most of the stuff in there, like, just couldn't have happened. <laughs> like, it's just pretty ridiculous and and unbelievable. I think I think a lot of it's just wrong. And so for him too there's this perceived conflict between faith and Science. Now, I know for many people, the focal point of that perceived conflict has to do with the discussion about the origins of life, or the origins of our universe, the Big Bang and the so-called creation versus evolution uh, debate. Now, I just got to tell you, breathe a sigh of relief, we're not going to touch that this morning with a 39 and a half foot pole. Uh, The reason being is because I like my job. First of all. Uh, And second, I have enough emails in my inbox, okay, to to deal with. I don't need all of that. Uh, But except to say this, I just want to say this one thing. Our church, our church believes uh, that faith uh, and science are not in conflict. That the more we learn about the natural world as we study our universe, uh, and the more we read our Bibles and really understand what our Bibles are saying, the more that we will see that those two things are in harmony. Now Christians disagree about how to put those two things together, the current findings of science and their Bibles, but we as a church are open to having that debate. We're open to having that dialogue within these walls, amongst our staff, whatever it is. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say about that. This morning, however, we are talking about miracles. We're talking about miracles because it's a common objection today. People say, are we really exp- supposed to believe that that stuff happened in the Bible? Like, are we really supposed to believe that Moses parted the Red Sea? That, that a man walked on water? Are we really supposed to believe that Jesus turned water into wine? That, that people actually raised from the dead? All of that seems just a little bit too unbelievable. For those of us who are rational, rationalistic, scientifically-minded people, it all seems a little bit unbelievable, unbelievable. And for some people, the whole idea of miracles puts the concept of God— on trial, which is why we're doing this series. Uh, we've been, we started a couple of weeks ago, took a break last week for the marathon, but that's why I'm wearing the monkey suits, okay? Our preachers normally don't wear suits, uh, and that's why there's a pulpit, or uh, sorry, a witness stand up up here on stage, because I'm playing the part of the defense lawyer. We've been looking at uh, objections that people have to Christianity, and this morning I'm going to be defending against the accusation that miracles are just totally and completely un. Believable. That's the accusation lodged against God this morning. We got to start with a little bit of a definition. I want to give you a biblical uh, definition or how the Bible speaks about miracles. Uh, You might be surprised to know that there's about five or six uh, words in Greek or Hebrew to to describe what we would call miracles, or sorry, that get translated miracles in many of our modern translations. And in the Bible, um, these are sometimes translated as wonders, signs, portents. Thank you, King James, for that. Uh, and, and really what they are when they show up is they are mighty works of God that display his power and that produce amazement and they reveal something about who God is. So it's, it's a mighty work of God uh, that displays his power and reveals something about who he is. But they're not always strictly what we would call miraculous. For instance, an earthquake can be a sign or a portent or a wonder, but we wouldn't necessarily say that's a miracle, right? Because we use miracle in a ton of different ways. You probably use miracle in kind of sloppily in a bunch of different ways in your own life, because you might say, holy cow, did you see the game last night? I can't believe that guy, he lobbed the ball, you know, across the whole court, and that was a miracle. He made that buzzer beater. That was incredible. Or maybe you say, you know, it's a miracle that the Patriots did not win another Super Bowl. Uh, that's, That's amazing. That is a miracle. Or some of you, you know, be like, wow, I can't believe she's getting married finally. That is a miracle. We, we never, uh, we never thought that. Not for her. No, no, that is a miracle, right? That's different. That's different than a virgin birth, right? That's something describing something different. So I'm going to give you my working definition of what I'm, I mean when I say miracle this morning, okay? So I had to look this up in, uh, in this book. This is Pastor Ryan's book of short, helpful definitions that probably need more clarifying, but will do the trick for now. If you're interested, those are on sale at the welcome desk. Uh, so here it is. I found this under M for miracle. Uh, it is a noun, good. Uh, and th- what I mean is an event which the natural causes at that time and place Could not possibly bring about an event which the natural causes at that time and place could not possibly bring about. That's what I mean when I say miracle this morning. Uh, If you have another definition of miracle, that's great. You can write your own book, that's totally fine. Uh, But that's what I'm going to mean. Sometimes, as Christians, we use the word miracle to describe things that are really just answers to prayer or that are highly unlikely. So, for instance, like you were trying to get pregnant for a really long time and then you finally did, and we'll say, oh, that's a miracle. Well, not really, right? Because it happened through natural means, unless it's a a virgin birth, right? And we might say it's an answer to prayer. It was unlikely, and we're thankful to God for it. But that's not the way I'm going to be using the word miracle this morning. I'm going to be talking about something that the natural causes at the time and place could not possibly have brought about, okay? So I'm going to give us four myths about miracles this morning. Four myths about miracles this morning. Number one, myth number one. You can follow along in the programs if you grabbed one on your way in. Myth number one is this, that miracles break the laws of nature. Miracles break the laws of nature. Now, at first, you look at that and you say, wait a second, that sounds— that sounds right, and it, it does, except I have a problem with the word break. Because most people, when they use this phrase, or if they say that, well, miracles, uh, they break the laws of nature, what they mean is that miracles are impossible because we know how the universe operates, uh, and, and they would break what we know to be true about the universe. So they are, therefore, impossible. But if you have a, any kind of a science background, you know what laws of nature or the scientific laws are. They are descriptions of an aspect of our known universe based on repeated observation. So we see something happen over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again in our universe, and it always happens the same way, and we, re- we observe that, and then we say, oh, well, that's how that works, and then we call that a law, right? So we see over and over and over again. If I take a ball and I drop it, it falls to the ground. That's called— Gravity, okay, you're still awake, that's good. Uh, That's called gravity. If someone steps out of a boat onto the water, they will do what? They will sink, yes, that's right, that's density and gravity all over, kind of combined together, right? We know that that is how the universe works. If someone dies, they do not come back from the dead. We know that that's true, that's how our universe operates. So, those are like scientific laws, but listen to this. Laws of science or laws of nature are not a description about what is possible in our universe. Okay? They're not trying to say what is possible or what is impossible in our universe. To make a statement about what is possible in our universe is not science. That is in the realm of philosophy, what we call metaphysics. Okay? So to make a description about the world that says someone could never float on water or walk on water, people cannot, it is impossible for people to come back from the dead, is a statement about metaphysics or the makeup of our universe. Think about it from another way. Uh, Another angle is that natural laws predict what will happen without intervening supernatural causes. So natural laws predict what's going to happen if there are no intervening supernatural causes. I'll give you a, a... for instance, or an analogy. Uh, There's something that happens six days a week at my house. Maybe it happens at your house. Uh, Someone comes and they walk, for some reason, not up my driveway, but across my yard. Okay, I don't know what it is. And then they go up to my mailbox and they put some mail in my mailbox. Do you guys have that happen to you as well? Yeah, yeah, the mail comes, right? Six days a week. In fact, there's some like slogan about coming, whether there's hail or sleet or snow. The mail comes every, every week, right? Six days a week. That's a law, right? We can predict it. Unless there's a freak snowstorm <laughs> in April, okay? I don't know about you. I did not get my mail that that Saturday morning, and I'm like, "Where's the mail?" Right? Right? Okay. That's that's a law. We can predict what's going to happen. But in that case, it it didn't happen because there was an intervening cause. So the laws of nature, or the laws of science, predict what's going to happen in the natural world unless there are uh, intervening causes. Um, And so I think instead we ought to think uh, not of miracles breaking the laws of nature, but that miracles are an exception to the rule. That miracles are an exception to the rule. The laws of nature describe the way things normally work, uh, but sometimes there can be exceptions. And the reason we can believe that as Christians, if you're a Christian, is that we believe that God is the creator and sustainer of all the natural world, of the universe. So the reason things are working the way they do, the reason we have gravity, the reason the planets are orbiting the way they are, is because God has said that they're going to do that. God is making all of that happen. And so if God wants to just do something different from time to time, He's, he's finding he can do that. He's not breaking some sort of law. He's uh, just doing an exception to the rule. He's operating in a different way. Uh, so it is, in fact, a myth that uh, miracles break the laws of nature and are therefore impossible. Myth number two you have to give up science to believe in miracles. Myth number two is you have to give up science to believe in miracles. Imagine with me for a second that you have a friend uh, who has been diagnosed with cancer. They have a a brain tumor, and it's inoperable, and the doctor says they've got weeks to live. And so they go home and are mourning, and yet they decide they're going to go to a prayer meeting at a church. They show up at a church. Some people lay hands on them, and they ask for healing. And this person goes away from that prayer meeting— feeling like something has changed. I don't know, maybe maybe something's different. So they go back to their doctor, and they have a bunch of tests run, and the doctors are astounded to find that they can't find the cancer. The lump is gone, the tumor is gone, and they don't know how to explain it. Now, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we would say, that's a miracle! That's amazing! Praise God! But to some people who are not quite convinced of there being a God, they would say, to cry miracle, to cry God, is to give up on a really cool puzzle. Like, instead, what if, we, what if we just kept asking, well, how did this person's body um, heal itself? Or what happened to the cancer? Or what mistakes were there? They would say, like, if you just say, eh, this looks a little, a little mysterious, let's just call it God. Let's not, like, ask any more questions. Let's not do any more tests. Let's just call it a miracle. They would say, well, you're giving up. You're giving up on science. And I would say, no, not necessarily, because if that was me— I would want to go have a bunch of tests done to make sure, you know, that the tumor is gone and to rule out the possibility that maybe, maybe it was uh, something that happened through natural causes. Interestingly enough, uh, I told that story when I was in teaching in Bellevue, and a guy comes up to me, a doctor comes up to me after one of the services, and he says, I, that very thing happened to me. And he told me the story of this lady who got cured or got healed. It was amazing. Um, so if there's not a, a natural explanation, then it would make sense to look for supernatural explanations, right? And we think about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. As Christians, that's what we celebrate every Easter, that Jesus died and that he came back to life. Now, as a, uh, as a historian, if, you, if you're a historian or if you study that stuff, there are some basic facts that you have to wrap your mind around, and people for years have tried to come up with natural explanations for what happened at Easter. Maybe Jesus uh, swooned, right? Maybe he, like, he just fainted. Maybe he didn't actually die. Maybe Jesus had a twin. All of those come out every year on the Channel, or sorry, on the, on the History Channel, they kind of replay those over and over again. But the most honest atheist scholars in the New Testament, the most honest secular historians will tell you, we don't have a good natural explanation for what happened to Jesus. He died, we think, and then people saw him later, <laughs> right? And so we don't have a good natural explanation. And so it makes sense to me to say, in light of there not being any natural explanations, doesn't it make sense to say, maybe something supernatural happened? Uh, to me, if you uh, confine yourself to saying no, 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 we got to stick to the natural cause and effect. Well, you're a little bit like um, the story of a policeman. Maybe you've heard this story. He's driving along and uh, on, on his route, and he sees this guy under a, a street lamp. I'm just scrambling around on the ground. And, uh, and so he stops his car, and he gets out, and he walks over to the guy, and he says, Sir, um, can, I, can I help you? And the, the guy's scrambling around. He says, I, I can't find my keys. I can't find my keys. I can't find my keys. And so the policeman does what, what you would do. He gets down on the ground, and he starts looking around as well. And after about five minutes of searching, he says to the guy, uh, Sir, are, are you sure this is where you dropped your keys? And the guy looks at him like he has an eye in the middle of his forehead, and he says, No, but this is where the light is. Right? I dropped them in the park, but this is where the light is. Now, science, science is a beautiful, bright light shining explanation on natural causes and effects. That's what science is determined to do, or that's what it's designed to do, I mean. It's designed to, to explain the natural causes and effects in the world, but science cannot tell us anything about whether or not there is a supernatural realm, whether there's anything outside the supernatural world, right? Science can not tell us anything—or sorry, outside the natural world—science can tell us if there's anything outside of the light. And so if we have an event, something that happens, and there is no natural explanation, we can't find the keys anywhere inside the light, doesn't it make sense to look outside the light, outside the street lamp, and say, maybe there is a god, maybe there is a supernatural realm out there. Maybe I don't know everything. See, in order to give up, in order to believe in miracles, you don't have to give up on science, but you do have to give up on naturalism, which is the worldview that says that nothing exists outside of the light. Nothing exists outside of what we can study through science. And again, I think that's a little bit narrow-minded. It it screens out a whole lot of other things. Now, what I find is a lot of people will have uh, that kind of naturalistic worldview. All there is is the natural world until something happens in their life uh, that they can't explain until they, they experience something that is inexplicable uh, by natural cause and effect. And I wonder, if we just went around the room and we asked some of you, I wonder the stories you could tell about the answers to prayer or the miracles that you've seen uh, in your life. I mean, I've, I got to preach this message a couple times in Bellevue, and I had people coming up to me and telling me all sorts of awesome, awesome stories. But... Uh, some people will say, "Well, miracles uh, that might have been a thing that happened in the Bible, maybe back in the day. I mean, I went to a state school where they told us that ancient people were just really gullible, and so they they didn 't know that what we call what we call miracle or sorry what we what we call science or we describe with weather and things like that they attributed to the gods, so they would they would say the gods were behind all sorts of things that we just study now through science and that stuff." is really just kind of made up, and it's mythical. Some people would say, well, maybe God used to act like that, but he doesn't anymore, because I don't really see miracles in my life. So this is myth number three, is that miracles are a thing of the past. They don't happen anymore. That's something people uh, used to believe in, or maybe at one time it did happen, but that doesn't really happen anymore. Well, Craig Keener, who is a New Testament scholar, uh, would beg to differ. He spent about two years traveling all over the world, interviewing people who had supposedly had experiences of the miraculous. And you can find his lectures on YouTube, uh, where he just talks about people being resurrected from the dead and healed, and of all sorts of things. I just want to give uh, him a chance to share a couple stories with you. This first one comes from Baghdad, Iraq. Let's listen to him. One
1: time, there was a a man who— who came and he said, "You know, my wife is in the hospital, and can can you all do anything for her?" And they had a hospital there, but this was a different hospital she was in. So the doctor said, "Okay, well, send him to the vicar." So they they sent him to the uh, the Anglican priest there, who's uh, charismatic Anglican, and he he said, "Okay, I feel like God is saying, Jesus is going to meet your wife. Uh, she will be all right." And, and as you were going to the hospital, just keep saying over and over again the name of Jesus uh, in, in Arabic. And so th- this Muslim man was just saying the name of Jesus over and over as he went to find his wife in the hospital. When he got to the hospital, the doctor met him at the door and said, I am so sorry, we did everything we could, but your wife has passed away. And he began to weep, and he went in and he, and he, and he embraced the body of his wife. And he was still saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then she sat up and said, I'm hungry. <clears throat> he, he went back and told the vicar, and the vicar said, Don't worry, that's happened before. But another account is from Dr. Chauncey Crandall, who's a cardiologist in West Palm Beach. And this was about someone named Jeff Markin. He checked himself into uh, the emergency room, uh, ch- checked himself into the hospital because he had chest pains, collapsed there. Uh, and then they tried to revive him in the ER for like 40 minutes and he he had no heart activity reported for 40 minutes and Chauncey Crandall he was the cardiologist he was making his rounds elsewhere in the hospital they called him in to just basically call the card and say that the man was dead and he came in they followed all the American Heart Association protocols he said okay well the man is dead so he pronounced him dead and then he, he went back to his rounds. And as he was going back to his rounds, he felt the Holy Spirit prompt him to go back and pray for this man. So he went in with another friend, uh, another doctor. <clears throat> the nurse was sponging the body down to get it ready for the morgue. And he laid, he laid his hand on the man's head and said, Father, if you want this man to have another chance to know you, I pray that you'll raise him from the dead. Turned to his colleagues, said, "Shock him with the paddle one more time." Now, this was the appropriate thing to do. I mean, if you're a doctor, you have medical means; you you should make use of those medical means that are available to you. That's God's gift too. But by itself, the shock shouldn't have done anything to the man. I mean, if he'd been flatlined for 40 minutes, it should have made no difference. The nurse was meanwhile glaring at him like, "Doctor Crandall, have you lost your mind? Shock." shocked him with a paddle and immediately the man's heartbeat came back to normal now the man uh, Dr. Crandall told me that the man was not just dead he was very obviously dead his extremities had already started turning black from lack of oxygen and the nurse started screaming Dr. Crandall, Dr. Crandall what have you done? because of course you know Frankenstein's monster (laughs) six minutes with no oxygen you, you have irreparable brain damage and so, what has, you know, what's going on here? <clears throat> but uh, this was on a Saturday. Dr. Crandall went in to visit the patient on Monday, was talking with him, and, and everything was fine. Um, so, God does things like that. One time...
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, and so you can—Craig Keener, you can go look up. He's just got hours of of those stories. Amazing, amazing. Uh, I've shared some of my uh, medical background a little bit before, but um, I I was born uh, premature, and I contracted a staph infection from uh, an umbilical artery catheter and IV in in my belly button and uh, developed a staph infection that ate away parts of my abdominal aorta and uh, parts of my femoral and iliac arteries. And uh, and my parents were basically told— you know, like he's not going to make it, um, and uh, there was an emergency surgery where they replaced some of my uh, organs with rubber hosing, basically. So I'm a kind of a bionic man. Don't worry, I'm okay. Uh, and and then throughout throughout the rest of my life, I've had to have updates. I've had to go in and have major cardiovascular surgery where they're replacing these uh, these rubber tubes with bigger, uh, better <laughs> rubber tubes. And uh, so it's just part of, part of my life. And uh, I was about 13 or 14, and uh, when I would need an update, I would feel a pretty good amount of pain in my extremities when I would try and do physical activity. So I felt the pain, knew it was time to go in, got the ultrasound, uh, and sure enough, they said 50% blockage in my abdominal aorta and 30% blockage in my femoral to femoral artery bypass, another, no, more tubes. And uh, so we decided we're going to go in to Minneapolis. That's where my surgeon is. We stop in at the church building on our way to pray with our pastor, because that's kind of what we always did, and uh, met with him, and he, he prays, you know, that the, the doctors would be on their A-game, that everything would go well. But he says to me, you know what, Ryan? and we're just going to pray that that you'd be healed, that you wouldn't even have to have this surgery. And I go, yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, So we head off to Minneapolis, uh, get there, and it turns out that doctors like to check each other's work. So uh, we had another ultrasound and an angiogram, and we went to the Ronald McDonald House to stay there for the night. That night, my dad gets a phone call from the hospital, and I say to my dad, "Um, we're not really sure why you're here. Uh, Ryan doesn't have any blockage. Uh, and, and so there's, there's nothing wrong. The blood flow's really great, so you guys can head out. And I'm like, I'm mad, because I knew the pain that I was in, okay? So we came to Minneapolis to get my life fixed so I could play soccer again, okay? So I'm ticked off, uh, not even knowing how to process this. We go, we go home, and I'm going to like, you know, who cares what the doctors think? I'm going to do the Ryan Groshek test. I go out for a jog, because I know the pain that I'm in when I go for a run, and go for a run for a couple miles, and no pain whatsoever, now I believe, I believe that I was miraculously healed. And that's amazing. I'm a, I'm a living testimony um, that miracles are not a thing of the past. Now, we could have investigated that further. Sure, we could have done more tests, um, but I, I, th- I think it really was miraculous. And, and the truth is that people around our world, thousands of people this year, are going to report miracles, are going to report healings, encounters of the supernatural. And if you're here this morning, if you're here and you're a skeptic, and you're like, I just, I just don't think any of this is believable. Like, let me just say this. If you were to say that every single one of those thousands of experiences are all phony, and you're right, and all of those people are wrong, that is incredibly arrogant. It is much more humble to say, maybe I don't know everything, <laughs> right? Maybe there is a supernatural out there. Maybe there is uh, a God out there. Uh, maybe, I, maybe my worldview is a little bit too small. Friends, I don't think miracles are a thing of the past. And myth number four, our final myth, is this. It's, uh, I would just believe, I would believe if I just saw a miracle, I would believe if I just saw a miracle. I remember having conversations about this with my friends in college. What would it take? What would it take for you to believe in God? Uh, And I've heard this in interviews with skeptics, interviews with atheists. What would it take? What would it take to convince you? They almost always say, well, I guess if Jesus like popped up in front of me. Or maybe if we discovered that like the name Jesus was written all over our DNA, or it was written in the sky, or I saw someone, you know, cut in half and come back to life in front of me. They're like, maybe if I just saw a miracle, then I would believe. But we just know that from history and from the Bible, uh, that, that's not true. Because here's the thing. Uh, the New Testament, the first four books are biographies about Jesus, and they share all of the amazing miracles that Jesus did. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He fed over 5,000 people with just a couple pieces of bread and fish. He did these amazing things, signs, wonders. And do you know who saw every single one of them? Judas. Judas, who ultimately didn't believe in Jesus, ultimately didn't think he was God's son, didn't think he was the Messiah. And even Peter, who got to see the extra special ones that got called in to, you know, one of the, the top three, got to see the transfiguration. Even Peter, at the end of Jesus' life, denies Jesus, right? And says, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't, I'm not one of his followers. We know that miracles can be a powerful help uh, to, our, to having faith, but they are not sufficient enough to produce Faith in, us. in the book of John, which is the last of those four biographies about Jesus, themes and signs are a big deal. John actually starts numbering the signs of, that Jesus uh, did, and, and, and he's doing these signs to back up what he's saying about himself. But after 11 chapters of miracle after miracle after miracle, we get this in John twelve uh, thirty seven. It says this, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Because the truth is that at some point, it takes a a leap of faith. It takes an act of trust. I said when we began this series, and we'll keep saying it, I don't believe that anyone can convince you into believing in Jesus. I don't believe that that's, my, that that's my job. I don't think any miracle, I don't think any sign that could happen in front of you would convince you into believing in Jesus. Because it's very different to cognitively assent to something, say like, oh, I guess I think that's true. That's very different than saying, Jesus, you are Lord. You're my God. I put my faith and my trust in you. I give you my life. That takes faith. That takes an act of trust. It's a step of faith. So it's, it is a myth that if you just saw a miracle, you would believe. It is a decision that you have to make, that you have to take a step of faith and say, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I want to trust you. I want to trust you more. And so if that's you this morning, if that's you this morning and you're, you're thinking, I, I think I want that. I, I, I think I'm ready to believe. Uh, all it takes is reaching out to, to God in prayer and saying, I want to give you my life. Because let me tell you this, the greatest miracle of all the greatest display of God's amazing power was that God himself became a human being. That's amazing. God himself became a human being, lived a perfect life. Jesus lived a perfect life, died the death that you deserve, died the death that I deserve, on our behalf, so that if we give our lives to him, if we follow him, if we trust in him, we ask for forgiveness. He'll bring us into a a right relationship with God now, give us peace and joy now in this life, and then after death, life forever. Life forever with God. That is available to each and every one of you. God's greatest miracle, and it wasn't to show off. It was out of love. It was out of love for you, that's available to you. So if you'd want to give your life to Jesus this morning, I'm going to give you a chance to do that in just a minute when I pray. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, what's the so what? What's the so what? What's the what next as we think about miracles? It's this. Don't be afraid to ask God for the impossible. We serve the God of miracles. We, see, we serve the God who raised Jesus from the dead, right? And we have that same spirit alive within us. Don't be afraid to ask God for the impossible. And don't be embarrassed. As you're out talking to people, as you're bringing up faith, as you're bringing up Jesus, don't be embarrassed about the miraculous in the Bible. We have good reasons to believe that our God uh, does miracles, has done miracles, and continues to do them today. Let's continue to be bold and courageous as we tell others about Jesus. Let's pray together. If that's you and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, you, you say, I've heard enough. It's time for me to cross the line of faith. Would you just pray something like this? Just agree with these things that I'm saying and pray this to God. Say, God, I know that I have, I've been against you. That I've tried to live my own life. I've tried to run the show on my own. I'm done with that. I turn away from having my life go my own way and I give it all to you. I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness for the things I've done, so I ask you to forgive me, not because I deserve it, because, but because you're just so gracious and kind. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I pray that you forgive me and give me the Holy Spirit to transform me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen.